to Eat, Drink, Social. My name is Courtney Sandora, and throughout this podcast series, you'll be hearing from myself and the Go Social team. Go Social is a PR and social media marketing firm with offices in Denver, Colorado, and Louisville, Kentucky. We'll be discussing social media trends and influencer best practices in the food and beverage landscape. If you have any questions and want to reach out, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Go Social, or you can visit our website at goforthbesocial.com. Okay. Today we're joined by mother and son bourbon duo, Utah and Peggy Stevens. They not only help distilleries and brands get up and running, but they also have a great social media presence followed by those in the whiskey world. Good to have you, Peggy in Utah. Well, hello, Shelby. Great to be here. Great to be here, Shelby. Okay, so to start out, I have my first question for you guys. How did you find your love for whiskey? Oh, boy. Yeah. (laughs) Mine goes, of course, way back, and I could probably say with a straight face, so does Utah's. But, um, of course, growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, we've always been surrounded by the bourbon culture. And so, you know, the parties that my parents would have at their house, you know, there were plenty of highballs. And I remember the old Jim Beam decanters uh, that would sit on our Christmas bar, uh, eggnog with bourbon, uh, you know, UK football games when I attended the University of Kentucky with bourbon in my tumbler at the game. Um, so, Truly, I feel like I kind of grew up with it, and little did I know after graduating from college that I would land, you know, in the industry permanently. Uh, So 30 plus years later, you know, here we are, and I'm proud to say that my son's right by my side in my business. That is incredible. Utah, do you want to tell us about how you found your love for whiskey as well? Yes, I will begin with um, when I was younger, I would go to Woodford Reserve Distillery um, and visit my mom while she worked there. And so while there, I, um, I would tour the exhibits and walk the grounds and everything. And so I think my introduction to bourbon really was with the bourbon community, with David Larson, the chef there, and eating bourbon balls. Um, I always joke around by saying that Bourbon balls were my favorite candy in the second grade because <laughs> I was just always there and hanging out and having so much fun with them. So my introduction to bourbon really was the incredible people within the industry. Um, once I was legal to drink uh, at 21, I was really fortunate to have a master bourbon taster for a mom to educate me on it and uh, really teach my palate and my love for it grew from there. You know, it's funny, Utah and as you mentioned, 21, do you want to tell them what you got for your 21st birthday? Yes, I was very blessed with um, a bottle from each of the major brands like Woodford and um, or Roses, and they were all signed by master distillers um, that my mom had them do, and it was such a special gift, and it really brought it full circle, just being able to meet the people earlier on, you know, when I was younger and now being 21 and having these uh, bottles on my bar shelf, uh, it really meant a lot. What an incredible start. <laughs> that is such a special gift. Yes. Um, so that kind of segues into my next question for you guys. Did you always envision yourself working together as a team and how did that come to be? 
I think as mother and we've always had a really close relationship. So working together is really nice, but I feel like we've always been a team together. Um, before working for her, I was on Team USA as a figure skater and she was my teammate back then even. Um, she drove me around from competition to competition and we traveled the world together. So we've always been blessed to have a real partnership um, as mother and son. And this is just our next adventure together. And it's really exciting to be a part of it all now in her world. You know, it's funny. I feel like we have had a little bit of role reversal. Um, yeah. You know, early on, as Utah mentioned, in his skating career in Team USA and one of the catalysts why I left, um, you know, the, the corporate world to start my own company and have more flexibility for my kids and myself and, you know, a little less travel and, you know, kind of build my business the way I want it to build my business, you know, almost a lifestyle uh, versus a career. And Utah and I literally traveled all over the world. I think we went to Europe together seven times and I was kind of always his support um, whether it was financially, emotionally, uh, cheering them on, you know, on the ice. And then when we decided to have him come work in my company, because I had a definite need for a, a truly creative and strategic mind. And he had graduated from Butler University uh, with strategic communications and, you know, his skating career, he decided to move on. Uh, and so now he's in my world. And what's so great is I feel like now he's supporting me emotionally, financially, mm -hmm. and physically, you know, with all that he does within my company. So uh, I couldn't have, honestly, a more trusted partner. Um, and it's so rewarding, I have to say, as a mother, uh, to see your son, you know, kind of get started in the business that I've been in and that I've grown to love. This podcast really quickly turned emotional. I'm over here crying. <laughs> so. I know. I'm, I'm teary-eyed. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what a beautiful story. You guys yeah. You guys have such a great, unique story. And truly, on both sides, such a champion mentality. Mm -hmm. I've always well, seen, thank you. I've always seen my mom as a hardworking woman. And when I was younger, you know, going to school and seeing that all my friends, their dads had the bigger jobs and a lot of my friends, their moms were stay at home. And I always really respected and commended my mom for her effort to have her own career. And from her, I learned a lot about business practices and she's been the best mentor to me since, you know, since being young to now working alongside her. I've always been inspired and motivated by her. So I'm very, very blessed to call her my mom. Well, thank you. And, and I have to tell you, too, what's so intriguing to me, you know, at this stage in my life cycle of my career, uh, is bringing on younger people mm. uh, to take on different roles and to see how they view the world as it is today, how they interpret it. Because I promise you, when I started out in the industry, we were in a much different place uh, than we are today. There was no such thing as a craft distiller, first mm. of all. There was no such thing as social media. Um, and so the technology as it has grown and, you know, the worldview of bourbon, you know, being the universal brand, uh, it, it's so intriguing to me to see the creative style and the energy um, that a younger audience has for this product. And that's what I'm able to see every day 
by having my son work with me. That is incredible and such, such a unique experience that you guys get to have together. Can you guys tell us more about Peggy No Stevens and Associates and what you all do? You guys have really been in the forefront of assisting distilleries and I don't want to call them like micro distilleries, but you guys have really helped launch so many brands. So can you guys get into what you all do for them? Yeah, I think that the catalyst of the uh, business, you know, when I started it over 14 years ago, was that I saw a true um, trajectory of new craft brands wanting to enter the market. And the thing about entering our bourbon world and building a visitor center and launching a brand is that you're not just in the whiskey business. You're in the hospitality business. You're in the food and beverage business. You're in the retail business. You're in tourism business. There's all of these different things that a new craft brand has to learn along the way. And so where we were uniquely positioned, frankly, you know, so long ago was that we had that experience in each and every one of those disciplines. So as we began to take on business, and now I think we've worked on over 30 uh, distilleries across the U.S., you know, it, it's been very rewarding because I think we've been kind of the glue um, to make them successful in educating them on the areas of need so they're not just focused on the juice, which is, of course, the most important, but you really have to expand and you know, find unique ways to market your brand and offer it to consumers so that they embrace the brand and you know how to talk to consumers. So I think that's probably been our greatest asset. Um, you know, I do other things as well. I'm a, I'm a professional speaker, so I speak about you know culinary food pairings with whiskey. Uh, I'm also a whiskey reviewer, you know, for American Whiskey Magazine. So there have been extensions of my brand. Um, and this business that have just fallen naturally and organically along the way. Definitely. You, Chad, do you have anything to add to that? Um, no, I think that, that really sums it up nicely. I think um, one thing that I am proud of is that my mom has always really been a trailblazer in her business and being the first master female bourbon taster is a is a really big achievement and that's always been an inspiration for me to um, steer my own path. Um, I'm really proud of her, you know, in our modern era in 2022, we see a lot more diversity in the bourbon industry and um, multicultural and for her to work early on with Uncle Nearest and seeing that project unfold, I'm always inspired by her pursuit of helping brands that she really believes in and um, working in a direction to lead them and the industry to a better tomorrow and a more inclusive one at that. Um, I think that also stretches out into her organization of bourbon women and the, the work that she does there, which is equally inspiring um, to be surrounded by such incredible women and their passion for bourbon and for each other and the networking that I see going on uh, within that organization. It's all just, it's just really special and dear to my heart. Definitely. Now, Peggy, we Utah brought this up earlier, but you launched the Jack Daniels and Woodford Home Places. Can you tell us what those experiences were like? Well, Woodford was back in 1994, and it was really the, the brainchild of Owsley Brown, who knew 
that the bourbon market needed a more premium presence. And so it was his vision of opening the Lebro and Graham distillery is what it was called at the time. And it was completely dilapidated. And I think they spent over $14 million. And at the time that I was offered that position as the guest services director, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure then that I knew what I was getting into. Um, but I can't think of another time other than starting my own business that I embraced innovation and had such poetic and creative license to, you know, build the script the way I felt it should to be able to talk to consumers and build tasting programs and worked with the best team ever. Um, Dave Shurek, Lincoln Henderson, you know, these are a couple icons in the industry, Kevin Curtis, another one in production, you know, we were a team. And so to me, it was an entrepreneurial spirit uh, feeling that we had all together and because no one knew Woodford Reserve at that time. And now it's one of the top whiskeys of the world. Um, for Jack Daniels, I cannot take credit for launching that distillery simply because it's been around since Jack himself, if you will. Uh, but I did come on to that project in the 2000s that we did a lot of renovation of the Jack Daniels uh, visitor experience. And so I was very proud to kind of turn the corner on history a bit and, you know, elevate some of the experiences that consumers had for that brand. Now, this is a question for both of you. Um, how do you think that visitors centers have evolved over the years? Oh, I'll tell you, I mean, first and foremost, and, and I say this now when I'm doing presentations on whiskey and our evolution is consumers have never been more intelligent mm -hmm. about the process yeah. of how bourbon is made and where it's made and who makes it and what warehouses the honey barrels are in. And it never ceases to amaze me these days on, you know, they're more knowledgeable sometimes than I could be. Mm -hmm. um, the research they do it, and, and you see this in social media with influencers and you know, what I call the cult bourbon lovers. Um, so to me, that has been a dramatic shift from when we very first started in this business and you did what I call dinner in a movie. You know, you took them through the production tour and you talked about, you know, the grains, the fermentation, the distillation, and then the barreling. You know, today's consumer wants to know, well, what kind of grain? Is it USDA number one yellow two corn or is it you know, what kind of rye, where's it from? They want to go out in the field and, you know, see the cornfields. They want to uh, fill the barrels themselves. So it is highly interactive, highly participatory. Um, and the, the bar keeps lifting uh, for all of our distillers. You know, it's keeping us on our toes because the consumer continues to demand more experience and we are going to give it to them. Amen. <laughs> yeah, that was beautifully said, Peggy. Um, you, Todd, do you have anything to add on that from your side? I think um, we're in an interesting time period where it's exciting to innovate and come up with new um, ways to experience the distillery and the brand and, and the bourbon itself. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, growing up on a distillery as a child, basically, I um, was really lucky to you know, touch the mash bill and learn about the grains and corn and the production and everything that goes into bourbon. I think part of our job now is finding interactive elements that 
utilize technology and art and um, develop more than just, you know, learning about an old family tree and how a brand got to be where they are today. Um, I think, uh, you know, my peers, when they visit a distillery like Rabbit Hole are really inspired by the modernization of um, a bourbon brand and just the, um, the aesthetic and appeal of that, it all works together to really producing uh, unique and new. So that's uh, one of our goals is just to find a way to find, I mean, <laughs> that's one of our goals is to find a fresh identity for these distilleries and interactive elements that really engage the consumer in a new way. I couldn't agree more with both of you on that. What do you guys think makes a good distillery tour experience? Well, I, I would say, and, and this is what Utah had alluded to earlier, was I usually take clients that I am truly interested in. And part of that interest is how authentic they are. So for me to build a good distillery experience and write a great script for tours, you know, I want to really engage and understand their story. You know, where are they coming from? What inspired them to do this? Some come from backgrounds of finance. You know, some come from backgrounds in engineering or tech or, you know, so what I'm seeing is more and more people who have never, ever been in the business are excited to be in whiskey. Mm -hmm. So I always like to kind of get to the core of it and say, wow, you know, it's got to be more than just the money because anybody who's ever experienced being an entrepreneur and especially working in the spirits business, it is darn hard work mm -hmm. and it's everyday work and it's 24 seven work. And so it's got to be more than just wanting to make money. Uh, and so that's, that's to me what helps. It's, it's that entrepreneurial spirit story that I try to uncover. I'll add to that by saying, I think we see so many um, celebrities having their own brands now, um, which is really great. And I think it uh, brings the industry to a new level of, um, you know, um, of, you know, people that may not you know, fully understand bourbon, they see that, you know, a celebrity is behind it, or I'm even thinking right now of like Kendall Jenner with her tequila line. But for us, like, it's so important to begin with passion and whoever it may be, celebrity or not, you can really sense the authenticity of passion behind a project. And that always meant motivates us to put in more energy into whatever we're doing. Um, so that, so that real sense of authenticity and passion uh, makes our drive and creative brains turn even more. I completely agree with that. It's so much more fun working with brands who have that passion and drive behind them. Mm -hmm. As mentioned before, Peggy, you are a huge part of Bourbon Women. Can you tell us more about your involvement in Bourbon Women and what the goal of Bourbon Women is? Sure, um, I think Bourbon Women really was in my mind over 20 years ago. Uh, when I was still at the Woodford Reserve Distillery. It might have been more than that, actually. And I noticed very quickly that when it came to marketing, you know, we were targeting largely white male, you know, uh, 21 to 35 or 35 to 40, you know, whatever the target market was at that time. But there wasn't even any conversation of marketing to women. And I knew growing up in Kentucky, you know, my immediate girlfriends, uh, after giving, you know, whiskey tastings around the world, literally, there were always a trickle of women 
who were very passionate and wanted to know more, but kind of was a little gun shy of raising their hand among, you know, a uh, hundred men in a seminar uh, to ask questions. And so they would always come up to me after the seminar was over or give me a phone call at the distillery because they didn't want to interrupt the tour. Uh, so, so when I started my own company, you know, I, I still saw that trend of us speaking only to men in the industry. And although marketing dollars is always a priority of how you spend your money, you know, I thought, you know, this is my opportunity in my own company um, to really start a conversation with women. So we conducted focus groups across Kentucky and I pulled a really dynamic group to start, um, quote unquote, a board of directors for bourbon women. And from those focus groups, we heard loud and clear that women, you know, were the other half of the population mm -hmm. and they wanted to be talked to. It's just the, the distilleries and the industry didn't know how to talk to them about whiskey. And some of them remembered whiskey as their, you know, father's drink. So they might have had the perception of it still being harsh, still being it, you know, not enjoyable in a cocktail. So it was our job to change that perception uh, and to change the perception of the industry. So we very carefully created a 501c6, which allowed us to help the industry with lobbying efforts. Uh, and because we wanted to be taken seriously, we didn't want ever for this wonderful brand that we were building of bourbon women to be a cute little drinking club. Uh, yeah. We also didn't want it to be just about let's make a buck on women. That's not what we were about. What we were about was a sincere desire to give presence to this target market and for the industry to open their arms basically and realize that this is a whole new addition to the franchise um, for our industry. And it's been very successful. We just celebrated our 10 year anniversary. We called it Toast for the 10th. Uh, we had a record breaking, believe it or not, during COVID record breaking growth. And again, another record breaking uh, growth since we're just coming off of 2021. We've uh, started a new foundation, a new 501c3, which we will be giving scholarships to women who wanna get into the industry or learn more about advancing their career professionally. So truly, I think after executing over 250 events across the US, having the first female annual conference uh, on whiskey for women, and you know, fast forward, we couldn't be in a better position to continue that growth. And I'm very proud of the work that the board, not me necessarily, uh, but me working with the board has been able to achieve. You guys have done a fantastic job at what you do. Um, and congratulations on your 10 year anniversary. That is awesome. I know we're all very excited to see more of what comes out of Bourbon Women. Um, but there is definitely more coming, I promise. <laughs> I believe it. So Peggy in Utah, you guys do a great job of working on branding for a variety of different whiskey brands. Can you tell me what you think some of the most important branding elements are for whiskey brands? Sure. Well, Utah, you want to talk about packaging in particular, because that has really become a forte um, of Utah's is developing packaging and branding aesthetics. Yeah. So do you want to I think like a really cool shape to the bottle, a label that stands out on the shelf, um, these are really two key elements here, not to exclude the cap of the bottle, 
as well. I think in working now alongside my mom and production and like creating the bottle itself, there's just so many ingredients that make a successful bottle. Um, I'm really lucky to work right now with Don Hardwick on creating an, a new bottle for a brand that we're working on. And um, I'm really inspired by um, how much art goes into making the bottle and how much thought and using elements of iconography and storytelling and almost like wrapping it up like a gift with a bow on it. It is about the juice, but I think that the bottle itself speaks to um, who the brand is and what they're striving for. And um, it becomes an art piece. You know, we all have these bar carts now and they're so popular. So what do you want to display on that bar cart? How do you want it to stand out? And what do you want it to say are all um, important questions to ask when creating a bottle. I think those are wonderful points. And, you know, because packaging it, to me, the presentation is everything. Mm. Um, it, it tells you first about what the whiskey is going to taste like just by looking at the bottle. Mm. Um, the other piece that I hone in on, on every single start of working on a new project, you might find surprising. It's quite simple. Um, the simplicity of just asking the stakeholder, which is traditionally the owner of the brand, you know, what do you want your takeaway to be? Mm. And they always kind of look at me oddly, you know, or pause and say, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by the takeaway? I said, well, we got to start with your strategic anchor. You know, what do you want the consumer after experiencing you, after drinking your product? You know, it might be a tourist, might be just a consumer uh, leaving a liquor store, but they bought your product. What do you want them to say about you? And if they can't define that and they can't describe the feeling that they want, you know, a consumer to have, then we have to help them get there because that's really what it's all about is what the consumer says about you and what they feel about you and how connected they are to you. So, so we like to start there. And then from there, we like to do very in-depth strategy sessions where we take you down different avenues of, you know, the look, the feel, the experience, the, the type of tasting you want, the type of retail you want in your um, establishment, how your tour guides dress, you know, all of those things build your brand. Everything, and I think Disney said it best, you know, your brand is the product of a thousand small gestures. And that to me has always stuck to me. Uh, mm. Your product of a thousand small gestures. Everything about your brand speaks of you. Powerful. Yes. I completely agree with you on that. And as a follow up to what we were just talking about, a huge part of branding now is tied into social media and every detail, even of the bottle, is like being shared by consumers on social, hopefully, because that's the whole goal. Um, you want people to share your product. When you are thinking, Utah or Peggy, about these elements, even in something like the bottle, how much of it do you think about being shared on social media? Um, all the time. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, I was going to say 24 seven. <laughs> a really key component and helping a brand stand out and how the you know main feed looks on their page and again like I, I just I just love this sense of storytelling and, and and bourbon and 
um, with all these brands, like really trying to convey a sense of uh, feeling and emotion. And I know Shelby, we're working together on a brand right now and um, helping them create a really cool Instagram feed and social media. Um, and so it, it just really, it all goes into storytelling for me and coming up with that clear and focused aesthetic to um, again, stand out because there's just like, there's just so many brands and they're all trying to, you know, shout from the rooftops. But I find that um, simplicity and storytelling really helps across social media. I completely agree. Yeah, I, oop, sorry, Patty, you can no, go. No, I was going to say that's, that's perfectly put. I couldn't add any more. <laughs> and I think what goes with that is we, we talked about earlier, Utah, you mentioned how you want the bottle to stand out yeah. from a shelf. But now you, we have this unique position of you want the bottle to stand out in a feed. Yeah, I think like, um, you know, there's many ways to experience a bourbon brand, you know, going to the distillery is great, but some of us can't physically go there. And so this is a digital way for brands to show their distillery and show, you know, kind of beneath the label and the bottle and show like the real heart and essence of the brand um, through photography and video and the cocktails they're making. I think social media just adds a certain excitement. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think it also helps tie in, like you were saying, when you can't go to the physical home place or a lot of these new mm. distilleries, they don't have home places quite yet. So it just really puts more emphasis on what you guys do and what your work means. And well, I and I have to tell you, nothing was more clear to me how important it was during our shutdown in 2020. I mean, our bourbon community, that was our connection. Mm -hmm. uh, whether we were doing tastings over Zoom um, or just doing, you know, IG videos or, you know, I know Utah and I did a lot of demonstrations on, you know, cooking with whiskey and, you know, food pairings and all kinds of things over 2020. It, it helped us stay connected. Yes. Um, so I, that's, that's my, um, the happiness for it. You know, is it, it was one vehicle that nobody could take away in 2020. That's an excellent point that you make there. Do you think going forward that since this is what we're living in now and we're currently seeing things kind of go back into a little bit of a shutdown going forward when you work with home places and you work with these distilleries, will you have in mind a more virtual experience too is that something that you will consider going forward there is no doubt in my mind that yeah. that is what we will continue moving forward and i have to say the tremendous growth of e-commerce and mm -hmm. shipping product and as our shipping laws change and you know 2020 the one thing that it also did for the spirits industry it loosened up some of the laws so that we could do cocktails to go at a restaurant, that we could do, you know, shipping to more states from Kentucky. And, you know, our laws in shipping are just pure archaic. Um, and they need to change. They need to change because not everybody can travel around the world, even without COVID. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that virtual connection, the e-commerce connection to getting spirits, um, yes, I think that's only going to grow. I think it grew over 200% during during COVID. Wow, that is that is very crazy to hear. Um, you guys 
brand yourselves very well on social media as whiskey experts, um, because you are, what are some steps that people should take if they are wanting to build their social presence in the whiskey industry? Utah, I'd love you to answer that. If, if you... I think it's like to find your net niche. Like um, we see so many mixologists creating Instagram reels of uh, cocktail recipes. I think a really amazing one to follow is Heather Webbles, the cocktail contessa. Um, so really it's just finding the category that you want to focus in on, um, what uh, feature of Instagram or social media you want to utilize, whether that's creating videos on TikTok or like I said, doing reels on Instagram. Um, but there's more than that of, you know, like virtual tastings on YouTube and, you know, like just finding influencers like Fred Minnick or Marianne Barnes or my mom herself and and to see how they're utilizing their platforms to educate and promote whiskey and bourbon. And um, I think those are all areas to look into. Beautifully said, Utah. I couldn't agree more with you there. So as we all know, the whiskey industry is still in the midst of a phenomenal boom. Are you guys seeing any trends that whiskey fans should be on the lookout for? Uh, well, I have to say just in regard to product, I think you're gonna see more uh, cult expressions, you know, the craft brands, what they did so well that the big boy brands, you know, couldn't do early on, in my opinion, is they were nimble. And they could come up with an innovation and not have to go through 12 layers of corporate life to get it approved. I mean, they just did it. They just were innovative. They were entrepreneurial. They took a risk. They didn't know what to expect. And, and here we are more and more uh, expressions are coming out every day and probably in the last maybe six or seven years I'm seeing the bigger players now come out with specialty expressions limited editions um, and I think we're going to see more and more of that especially again while we have some category changes you know just like barrel finishes are very hot you know you might start off as a bourbon but you might be finished off in a port barrel or a sherry barrel or a Cabernet red wine barrel. Um, so more and more of the flavor components, I think are gonna be highlighted and I'm having a ball with it. Frankly, as a whiskey reviewer, I'm having a ball with it. On this topic of expressions and everything, something that comes to mind is how Cool Rabbit Hole has utilized their label to um, showcase these expressions differently with the Alice in Wonderland theme and using art there. I just think it's so powerful and so creative and clever. That's really a way to dive even deeper into the brand name uh, to go down the rabbit hole even more. Um, I just think it's, it's really cool how they did that. And I think, I think Utah and I are, and, and my whole team actually, we're, we're, we're in a great place that we, yes, work on so many different brands that we're very proud of, but we never look at other brands that we don't look work on as competition. Mm. In fact, I think we look at it more in admiration because oh. we might be very proud of what we've come up with. But, you know, as he mentioned, Rabbit Hole or other brands that I'm impressed with, like Blue Run, um, we look at, at brands and how they've grown and how they've, you know, developed their iconography and uh, creativity. And so we're just in a great place that we have a first row seat. No, I was going to say it makes it entertaining and fun. And that's like what I think bourbon is all about. It's just really having a fun time with it and getting creative and playing around with ideas and 
inspiring each other within the industry and just moving the spirits industry forward in general. Um, it's all exciting to see unfold. Well, and again, the beauty of having my son work for me, you know, he, he said it perfectly, you know, bourbon's meant to be fun yeah, and it's not to be taken too seriously. And when you take it too seriously, you become a snob, first of all, mm -hmm. and you know, you don't enjoy the wrath. And so there've been many times that Utah has made me pause sometimes and say, hey, enjoy the wrath, enjoy the wrath. You know, don't get too hung up on what's right or what's wrong or, you know, what you're supposed to do, you know, enjoy the wrath. And I, and I, I just really treasure that uh, coming from him. I completely agree. We work, I'm biased, but I feel like we work in the best industry you could possibly work in. Mm -hmm. So Peggy, as we mentioned before, you are the first female master bourbon taster in the U.S. How did that come to be? And what has your experience been like as the first female bourbon taster? Um, I think at the time, you know, this happened when I was at Woodford Reserve and I trained under Lincoln Henderson. And again, I was the guest services director, but I actually had a career for a while in the hotel business and learned all about food and beverage and culinary and wine and spirits. And so by the time I came on to Woodford, um, I had a pretty good palate just because of my culinary background. And so I think that it was almost by accident in a way that they decided because of my good palate that I should be formally trained to conduct tastings. And so that was the time that I spent um, at the distillery with Lincoln. And then they wanted to make it more formal and make me a master taster so that they could you know, send me around as an ambassador and help with um, quality control at the distillery and, you know, all of these different things. So at the time, I don't think I fully wrapped my head around it. I just thought it was a, a great little promotion um, that, you know, I would be elevated in my title. Little did I know that when they did a press release on that title, that it hit over 90 newspapers uh, on the AP and I became the first female master bourbon taster in the world. And I remember them being so excited about, um, you know, the press that came with that. And I just remember honestly taking a step back and being surprised. You mean I'm the first? I mean, this was not that long ago. You know, this was like late 1990s, early 2000s. Um, and to think that, that I was first uh, was an honor don't get me wrong, absolute honor, thrilled to have made it to that level, but a little surprised that it took that long. And I'm happy to say now, fast forward, that I see, especially through Bourbon Women, because that's what we do to celebrate women, I see master blenders, master tasters, first female master distillers on record, and more and more and more uh, spotlight has become um, evident on women in the industry. And I, I couldn't be more pleased. So from shock to please now. And Shelby, it's cracking me up because she just gave this whole spiel about being the first female master bourbon taster. When I was younger in, in school, my teacher asked me what my dad and mom did for a living. And I said, my mom just drinks bourbon. Uh, uh, <laughs> little did I know that she was the first female master taster and all the work and energy she put into it, the training. Um, it's really remarkable to be older now and appreciate um, 
how much, uh, yeah, how much work she put into it and not knowing that she would be the first, but doing it because she was passionate about it. Um, I think it could be an inspiration for anyone. Well, thank you for saying that. And, and I have to say truly that I'm looking forward to the day that we can quit saying first with women. Mm, totally. That everything is just, you know, even. Mm -hmm. And first do not apply anymore. I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to that as well. And it's awesome to be able to work with such a tra trailblazer like yourself. It's truly a very unique and humbling experience from my end. <laughs> Well, thank you. And Shelby, I have to say on a personal note, just because I know your mother, I think she's a trailblazer. <laughs> yes, I've been very fortunate. Much like Utah, I, when people used to ask me, I'd be like, oh, she sells alcohol? Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Second grade is bourbon balls. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you, your favorite treat was bourbon balls. Mine little tidbit was I wanted to be the girl on the moon as I used to say when Anne used to work at um, Miller I wanted to be her for Halloween and cried when they were like absolutely not yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were like we cannot have you do that <laughs> that's awesome I know you guys are super busy and I'm so thankful that I've gotten the opportunity to talk with you guys so this will be our last question for you it's for both of you, um, but I'm going to start out. Peggy, you've authored three books on branding and whiskey now. Your latest book, Which Fork Do I Use With My Bourbon, focuses on pair pairings and entertainment. Can you guys both give us some quick tips on bourbon pairings and what some of your most important advice is when entertaining with bourbon? Oh, my God. I love bourbon with anything sweet. Shortbread cookies, chocolate. That's, that's where my palate leans to the most. Yeah, I have a little There bit. is no doubt in my mind that Utah has the sweet tooth of the family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no doubt about it. My um, tip for food pairing is to mentally walk yourself to your kitchen and taste the product first. And when you start breaking down the flavors in order, you know, what hits you first? Do you hit, do you get sweet? Do you get spicy? You know, do you get you know, chocolate? Do you get rye? Do you, you know, what are, what are some of the flavors that you get? And when you pick out those predominant notes, then you can start thinking, what would go good with this? You know, if it's something sweet, uh, you have a sweet caramel, for example, then guess what? I might do some apples and cheese with it because it's almost like having a caramel apple. Um, if, if it's something very spicy, then I'm sure not going to eat wasabi peas with it, right? Uh, if the whiskey's spicy, I might have something that's a little sweeter, you know, to tone down some of the spice. So it's really about dialing up or dialing down the flavors that you want to create. And we cook every day. Uh, the consumer thinks that they have to be an expert like me just to describe uh, different flavors in a whiskey, and you don't. We all like to eat. We all know what a banana tastes like. We all know what pepper tastes like you know, all of these different flavors. So when you focus on the flavor of the whiskey as you taste it and break down those food memory components, it'll better prop you up to do pairing. That sounds fantastic. And I know it's only, it's not even one yet, but now I have a real, real tasting <laughs> for some bourbon and some great pairings. <laughs> awesome, awesome. 
<laughs> well, thank you guys both so much. Uh, it was an honor to have you guys on this podcast and I look forward to doing more work with you guys. You guys are such a great team to work with. Thank you for having us, Shelby. It's been our pleasure. And this was the first podcast we've done together. So it's really been fun. Well, we are so excited then. Hey, another first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> another first. Yeah. Another thank first, you. not the last. <laughs> That's right. All right. Well, thank you guys both so much. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Well. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, everybody. That wraps up today's episode of Eat, Drink, Social. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to share or know somebody that does, feel free to reach out to us.